right. Well, Derek takes every opportunity to embarrass me, so thank you, Derek. I appreciate that. Like Derek said, good morning. I'm Jason Dunn. I'm the executive pastor here, and we're starting a new series this morning called From Old to New. We're kind of going to take the dust off the Old Testament here and take a look at it. My task today is kind of try to set the table for this series and give you an overview of the Old Testament, kind of take a look at its overall structure and look at some of the major themes. And so just so that we're aligned, when we talk about the Old Testament, we're talking about that first part of your Bible, the first 39 books, a couple dozen authors or so. It was written over about a thousand year period from 1500 BC to 500 BC. And to just help orient us a little bit, I want to look at this graphic back here of the Old Testament. There's actually some natural groupings in there that can kind of help us see what's going on. So let's take a look at this. The first section there is called the law, or sometimes it's called the Pentateuch. It's the five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So on the starting point there, God's like, he's stepping into the picture. He's choosing some partners to work with. Uh, He starts to work with Abraham and forms a covenant with him on uh, bringing his chosen people, the Jews, into the promised land. But before that, uh, there needs to be this rescue. He calls Moses to kind of step in and rescue the Egyptians for their, from their, or rescue the Israelites from their enslavement in Egypt. That's the Exodus piece there. They literally leave uh, uh, Egypt, and then God gives them their law. So a lot going on there in the first five books. The next set is called the historical writings there, from Joshua to Esther. So In this section, they kind of occupy the promised land, uh, but they start to wander, start to move away from God's covenant, away from his purposes, start to stray. They put a series of kings in place to try to kind of rein things in. That really doesn't work so well. They give it a go. The next bit there is the the poetic writings, Uh, a lot of poetry, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. So in these five, it's kind of some deep dives on wisdom, some deep dives on what happens when I start to stray, those feelings of I love God, but I've stepped away from him. Um, for example, the Psalms of David are there. Uh, one of those was read this morning by Emily. Kind of deep, inspirational, hopeful pieces of reconnecting to God. And then finally, the prophets. So in the prophets, uh, these are God's messengers really trying to do primarily two things. One, kind of call people back from their wanderings. Okay, When you're off the rails, God does step in and say, hey, come back to me. And then two, kind of push forward and look forward to the future towards the promised Messiah uh, that was coming in the future, and that's Jesus. So those are kind of the sections. Uh, if you kind of look at it in total, um, God starts by choosing some partners. There's some strain going on. God's trying to call us back, and then that, that, that cycle kind of repeats. Okay, so that's kind of the OT, the Old Testament, in a nutshell. By the way, we covered this with your kids last summer in uh, Adventure Canyon, so if you have any questions, you can check in with them. They've got the whole thing down, and it can be a good reference on that. So, But today, we kind of want to rise up to 30,000 feet and just look at the Old Testament as a whole. I mean, I think about this. In the Old Testament, it was the first time God stepping in relationally to communicate to us, and so we should be expecting some answers to the big questions in life. I mean, who is this God? What is his nature what are his purposes for us? If, if there's any question the Bible, I think, is trying to answer, it's that purpose question. I mean, what story is God trying to write in our lives, and, and how do we fit into this whole story? And so today, I kind of want to make the case that from the very first pages of the Old Testament, from the very first stories, 
God makes it clear that he has an amazing plan for humankind, okay? And that is, God is looking for human partners to bring his blessing to the whole world. Okay, God's looking for partners to bring his blessing to the whole world. And if you stop and and just kind of think about this, this is a wild idea. I mean, God, the most powerful force in the universe, the most amazing thing, holy thing we can imagine, somebody who can count every grain of sand on the seashore, knows what you're thinking right now as you think it, wants to partner with his creation, with humans like you and me, okay? To do an amazing thing, to bring that blessing uh, to the whole world. So in the Bible, blessing is this idea of what's good and right in God's economy. We've been talking about it for actually the whole last series. When his kingdom comes here to earth and we live under his reign, that's blessing. That's when things are going right. Now, I guess we sometimes complain, right? Life's a little dull, boring, purposeless. I hope we can agree that that's at least a pretty epic purpose God has in plan for us, right? To potentially partner with him to bring blessing to the whole world. So we're going to talk about this idea more today. And certainly our hope is that you will find this offer of partnership compelling. You'll understand exactly what you need to do to take part in it. And then as you step into this, um, that two things will happen. First of all, you'll be a blessing to those around you. And I think you'll find you'll, you'll be wildly blessed yourself. So as we kind of launch into this idea, the first thing I want to do is show a video here that Arts Team made. This just kind of gives us a little introduction to some of the characters that God started partnering with. So let's check this out as we get into it. The Holy Bible. It's a large book made up of many smaller books. It's split into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the Old Testament is quite large. So large, in fact, that it's about two-thirds of the entire Bible. So there are many stories, people, characters, there's even poetry, genealogies, instructions and laws, and more. And so there's a lot going on. So here are a few of the main people and characters we're going to talk about from the Old Testament. After creation, and even after the flood, we are introduced to Abraham. God chooses Abraham and promises to give him many descendants and make him a great nation. He promises to bless Abraham and bless the world through him and his family. Then we meet Moses, a descendant of Abraham who was born in Egypt. He runs away into the desert after killing an Egyptian guard. And God calls upon him to go back into Egypt and rescue the Israelites, the nation of Abraham, from slavery. Eventually, we are introduced to David. Yeah, David from David and Goliath. After young David slays Goliath and much more drama, he eventually becomes king of Israel, the nation of Abraham, who God chose and rescued. David is a poet, a warrior, and a king. He's called a man after God's own heart. And hundreds of years later, we meet a man named Jesus, and the New Testament begins. So, there's a quick timeline of a few of the main people from the Old Testament. All right, so we're going to talk a bit more today about a few of those partners and our partnership with God. And and basically, I want to try to answer four questions as we step into this partnership, okay? First of all, why does God want to partner with people at all? Okay, what's he up to 
in that thought process. Two, what type of people does God want to partner with? Are there any qualifications? How does this work? How do I get involved? Third, what challenges are we going to face as we do this? The Bible's just replete with examples of where this is tough, and so we're going to talk about that. And finally, how do we win at this? How do we really overcome those challenges as we're partnering with God? So let's start with this first one. Why does God want to partner with people? Okay, what's he up to there? And the starting point on this is just to realize that God is relational through and through. Okay, he's intrinsically, undeniably relational. Um, Always has been. I mean, the starting point of what defines God's existence is he's always been in deep Trinitarian relationship even before man showed up. All right? I mean, God wasn't kind of lonely before he created man, checking his watch, saying, you know, what are we going to do today? Um, God was in relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternally. Okay? And we see glimpses into the depths of this when we look in on when Christ was on earth. Jesus is regularly taking time to connect to the Father, okay? To submit to him, to seek his will, to go out and pray. We see Jesus connecting to the Father, And then we see him talking about the fact that he needs to rely on, be filled with, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So you see this relationship in the Trinity um, while Christ was on earth. That's been fundamental to God's existence. He's a relational God. But then two, um, for his own delight, God wanted more relationship in his life. Okay, And was willing to take the risk of creating folks like you and me Okay, with free will. Um, I mean, that was a risk. Why? Well, we could either accept or reject that. But if we accepted his offer, then he'd have more loving relationship in his life. Uh, The quantity of love in his life would increase. So he created mankind in that very hope. Now, so he's got his own relationship in the Trinity. He's got relationship with us. And then as soon as he created man, he was interested in partnering, in, in reaching out to human partners. First, uh, well, with both groups and individuals, but one of the first was with a specific group. We mentioned them in, in, in the intro there, this, this, new, this Old Testament group called the Jewish people. Okay, and let's look at Deuteronomy 7. Um, this is the fifth book of the Pentateuch, and he talks about this partnership uh, with this chosen people. So this says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, to be his people, his treasured possession. Okay? Now think about this. Why would God choose a specific people to partner with? I mean, what were his options on how to best reveal his purposes to the world? We already know it'll be something relational, but this sort of a long-term relationship with a chosen people was the best path for God to do the following, and that's get his kind of purposes in a permanent written form, okay, in the form of the Bible. And, and the thought process here, if there's a long-term relationship with the people, God can kind of progressively, over a series of time, reveal who he is, what he cares about. Uh, with enough depth, with enough color, the people would start to understand who he is and what he cares about. And ultimately, they'd have a story, kind of a cultural history, Right, that they could then write down. If this is written down, it can be shared with all the other people groups, 
and push forward through, through the rest of time to be shared you know, uh, for, for everybody for, for, for always. So this whole process of getting a permanent record, best way to do this was partnering uh, with a specific people group over a length of time with the Jewish people. And that is really the story of the Old Testament. But in addition, God wanted to partner with individuals and still does today. Um, to think about this, I'd like to go back to, actually, there was a great analogy Derek used a few weeks ago in the Kingdom series about the mustard seed. Do you remember that? This mustard seed is the idea that God's kingdom always starts small, and then it starts to expand and grow and become just unstoppable. I mean, the imagery here was um, you could have a barren field in the Middle East, nothing in it. One mustard seed comes in, begets one kind of healthy plant. That plant begets other plants. All of a sudden, you've got kind of an exponential growth of plants going on in this field. In a barren field, because something that's teeming with life and growing in a life. That idea of, of, of the mustard seed is the same as what God was thinking with individuals. He needed some starting points, faithful seeds that would lead to kind of this exponential blessing, okay? So that was the best path to, to bless the most people on earth was through, through these starting points, okay? So Abraham, Moses, David, those were some of the initial seeds uh, that God worked with, and that process continues today with us. So, God wanted to partner because he's relational. What does it take for us, though, to partner with him? Okay, what type of people does God want to partner with? Have you ever stopped and thought about this? Um, are there requirements? Uh, how does it work? Um, now, the first concept I want to talk about, which is really consistent throughout Scripture, is that God wants to work with you. He will work with you regardless of what you think the strength of your resume is, okay? Um, the strength of your resume is not what determines if God wants to partner with you. You know how the resume thing works, right? You ever written one of these out? Okay. Uh, you, you put this together, it's kind of like I got my skills and abilities and then some work experience, maybe some awards, some things I've um, accomplished. And what's the purpose of a resume when you're working with humans? Well, you kind of want to show off, right? Say, this is what I can do in hopes of somebody else will choose to partner with me, maybe hire you. Um, the human version of partnering almost always works this way. People are evaluating, hey, what can you do for me based on your, your capabilities? This is not how God's version of partnering works, not at all, okay? It's not based on your resume. And we can go look at it back at the, the Jews to just take a look at this. When they, when they were chosen, when they were called, Kind of what qualities made the Jews attractive to God and made them his chosen people. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 7. So we started with verse 6. Um, you're a holy people. The uh, Lord has chose you uh, to be his treasured possession. Then let's go on to verses 7 and 8. For the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people, for you were the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Okay? So the Jews' resume wasn't great. Um, they were the fewest of people. Um, God chose them not because they were kind of the best qualified, but because he loved them, just like he loves you. 
uh, and loves me. And a similar thing happened when God chose Moses. So God chose Moses, like I said, to be the freers of the, Israel, Israel, uh, the, the Jews as they were enslaved in Egypt in the famous story of the burning bush. Anybody heard that one? Burning bush? Yeah? Okay. So burning bush is in Exodus 3. So the story kind of goes like this. Moses was out tending his flocks. He saw kind of a bush burning up on the top of the hill and it wouldn't go out. Uh, Moses goes up there to see what's going on. As he goes up there, God speaks to him from this bush and says, Moses, I've heard the cries of my people down in Egypt. Uh, I'm sensitive to what's going on there. I want to rescue them, and I want you to be the person who goes down to Egypt and rescues them. Okay, and this is how Moses responds. It's very interesting. In Exodus 3, uh, verse 11, the first thing that Moses says is, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go? Okay, who am I that I should go? And God responds fairly gently. He says, I'll be with you. I'll give you signs. I'll give you power. Um, but Moses isn't convinced. And uh, in Exodus 4.10 says, uh, Lord, I have never been eloquent. I am slow of speech and tongue. Okay. And God's response here is, hey, I know. I'm God, by the way. I made your mouth. Uh, I gave you speech. I'm aware of this, but you can do this. I want to work with you. And then Moses just kind of jumps to it and says, uh, oh, Lord, just please send someone else to do it, okay? Send someone else to do it. I mean, Moses is definitely working double time right here to convince God that he has got the worst resume in leadership history. Uh, to each and every point, uh, though, God says, I'm God. We've got this. We can and will work together with your existing skill set, okay? And by the way, it's completely fine if you've got an amazing resume. I mean, God gave you a set of skills and abilities. He gave you a spiritual gift. He's fine with you having, you know, great capabilities. I'm not saying that those things are irrelevant or not useful at all to God. They are. But I am saying there's something else that you must do before God can use you at all that has really nothing to do with your resume, okay? So if God's not hung up on your resume, what is he hung up on? Okay, what is he hung up on? And take a look at that. Let's look at actually Abraham's calling. So Abraham was in the video, kind of the, the spiritual father, the physical father of the Jewish nation. And his calling is in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. So let's take a look at this together. The Lord said to Abram, that was his name, he later changed it to Abraham, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. Now, as you read that, I wonder what strikes you. Um, culturally, I think we may not understand how kind of big a deal it was here in terms of what God was asking Abraham to do. Uh, you know, we may feel like, hey, God was kind of asking Abraham to, you know, rent a U-Haul, move from Murray to Ogden, right? Uh, just move across town. Uh, it was, wasn't that easy. 
uh, at the time, culturally, your land was everything. The land was the thing that passed down from generation to generation. The land was kind of the source of your agrarian livelihood, most likely. Okay, it was a big deal. Leaving your land meant leaving your inheritance, potentially exposing yourself to economic ruin. And so God was basically saying to Abraham, Lord, or God was saying to Abraham, Abraham, I need you to trust me deeply. Leave this land, leave your family, leave your community, and start over. With the guarantee being God's promise that he would bless him. And, and the point here is that, you know, God's not interested in your resume, but he is very interested and will partner with you only if you will trust him in faith. Okay? Trust him in faith and then do what he says. That's the entrance fee to partnering with God. We really have to trust that the God who created the universe, created us, created purpose itself, knows what he's doing better than us. And, and God's power is really only released in us to bless the world when we will do this. Trust him in faith and say yes. That's it. It's really this simple. I think we greatly overcomplicate this in our lives. We kind of want to pull back that control. Uh, we want to pull back the control and we get off track. And now, if you're not quite sure if trusting God in, in faith is this critical, let's go ahead and look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is kind of the, I call it the Old Testament Hall of Fame in the Bible, okay? This is where the monsters of the faith go to get their, their jerseys retired. Actually, I've been working with Dave Nelson on this. He thinks only Detroit Lions players can get in the Old Testament Hall of Fame. I'm trying to get that worked out with him. We're making progress. Okay, but if you look in on the Old Testament Hall of Fame, there's a long list of folks here, okay? And all of these verses kind of read the same way. It says something like, by faith, insert name here, they listen to God, then good things happen, okay? By faith, so-and-so did what God said, people were blessed, they were blessed, Okay, so Hebrews 11, 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark. His family was saved. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And the list keeps going here. By faith, Moses followed the Passover. Their sons were spared. By faith, um, they all read the same way. And the powerful thing about this and, and where this is summed up in the same chapters in Hebrews 11.6, um, this is a powerful kind of statement around what it takes to partner with God. Um, and God doesn't really pull any punches here. This is pretty strong language. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Okay? Impossible. Not improbable. Not less likely. Not impossible, because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, okay? The Bible's language around this is really strong, and it is in Galatians as well. Galatians 5, 6 says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love, okay? A 
without faith, it is impossible to please God. The only thing that counts is faith. Okay, these are pretty strong statements about the importance of this. Um, so God wants to partner with us, but the primary requirement to do so is to trust him. Okay, to step forward in faith and, uh, and tackle this with him. Okay, so, but if we do, and if we'll step forward in faith, God will partner with us, but there's going to be some challenges, okay? In the Old Testament, this was really clear. In fact, if you're normal, if you're like me, you already may be saying, you know, I'm struggling to have faith sometimes. I'm tr- struggling to trust him, do what he says under certain conditions or in some parts of my life. Um, this is normal. The Old Testament is one long, continuous story of God's people struggling to say yes and kind of falling away. And then God tries to reconnect to them in faith and pull them back in, okay? They'll initially say yes, but then kind of fall off the wagon. And, uh, but God stays faithful and reconnects. And by the way, this is God's covenant way. We're going to talk about this as, as kind of the focus of next week, kind of this notion of covenants and how God relates to us. Um, and the cool thing is when God forms a covenant with us, he does what he says he's going to do, even if we don't, okay, and are struggling a bit, okay? And so, um, thank goodness, because we know we're prone to struggle a bit with the whole say yes to God thing. Um, but he knows this. Uh, he talks about it a lot in scriptures. Um, not surprisingly, the Bible often describes us, God's children, um, and this isn't the most flattering analogy, I guess, but as sheep, Okay? Describes us as sheep. So uh, lots of sheep analogies, okay? Sheep without a shepherd, okay? Uh, Sheep that need a shepherd. Lost sheep. Sheep kind of gone astray. Lots of sheep analogies. And one of the most famous here is is Isaiah 53.6. This is one that folks recommended I memorize early on in my Christian career. So it says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Okay, each of us has turned to his own way. Do we have any farmers out here? Have anybody actually participated in trying to wrangle sheep before? One or two? Yeah. Sheep are interesting. You go out there and uh, if you've observed sheep for any amount of time, they kind of wander off in one of two ways. The first is a little more benign. They just kind of like, I don't know. They kind of just drift off lackadaisically, kind of like a daydreaming airhead, you know? They'll just be like, this is an interesting direction, and all of a sudden they're kind of lost. Um, the other way they do it is a little more intentional. Sheep can, sometimes will just kind of look you in the eye and say, okay, game on, I'm not doing it your way. Okay, it's a little more aggressive. Um, we actually kind of do both with God. You know, we can kind of just wander off accidentally or push back uh, quite aggressively and... Uh, you're not quite convinced that we do this, right? So I've got a little video to illustrate this here. So let's show that video. So God here is the fisherman, and we're the sheep. And God's kind of saying, hey, I have a great plan for your life. Just trust me. And the sheep's saying, I'd like to trust you, God. I'm, I think that's the right thing. But wait a minute, something's coming over me. No! Oh! <laughs> and God says, I, think, I thought we talked about that. Were we aligned or not? Or, you know... Um, I'm just not sure. Now, this is where the analogy breaks down. God actually doesn't take off running away from us, but uh, yeah. 
By the way, who takes a sheep fishing? Does anybody do that? Uh, I mean, I've got pretty deep redneck roots in my family. I've never heard about anybody taking uh, sheep fishing. But anyway, around the whole sheep thing, I, I think there is a, you know, a terrible truth here to our sheep-like strings that we need to think about. And I think we all know this, but when we say yes to God and do what he says, it just, we know this, we are blessed, the people around us are blessed. It's a beautiful thing. But when we do the opposite and we say no to God, we cannot be a blessing to people. Okay? In fact, we're likely doing the opposite and actively causing them harm. There's just not a lot of neutral ground around this. And I think one of the easiest ways to see this is to look in on the greatest king in Israel's history, King David. Okay? So King David, we talked about there, he was the warrior poet King, and when, when David was saying yes to God, just amazingly beautiful things were happening in his life. He was volunteering to go fight Goliath and slay him, saving the Israelites, writing these beautiful psalms. But when David said no to God, he was committing adultery with Bathsheba, shaming himself, shaming the nation, uh, covering it up by engineering somebody's murder. Okay? Um, unbelievable harm to others. So there's not much neutral ground here. Either we say yes to God and others are blessed or we say no to them, no to God, and uh, we end up harming others. Either by sins of commission where we do something that we know is wrong like David did or by sins of omission where we know we should be giving care and help and comfort to others and we just withhold that. Okay? So I guess the question really becomes how do we overcome how do we overcome this sheep-like nature we have to say no to God and sometimes hurt others? Okay? And, you know, I hope this doesn't sound too counterintuitive because sometimes God's ways really are just so other. Um, he says, my ways are not your ways. But you start to overcome and say yes to God, ironically, by admitting you don't have the power yourself to overcome, okay? You just don't. This isn't an exercise in higher effort or greater willpower. I mean, one of the most obvious conclusions you'll have after reading about God's chosen people in the Old Testament is this fact that they didn't have the power to overcome, and they proved this again and again and again as they strayed, okay? For example, God gave them his law, his holy standard, for how to live a sinless life and be connected to God, they couldn't follow it. They just couldn't follow it. And by the way, the purpose of God giving it to them was largely so that they would realize in their hearts, I cannot follow all the requirements of a holy God on my own. I need help. I need some different sort of power. Okay? I need a Savior. God gave them the sacrificial system. Dave will talk about this, the system of sacrifices and atonements in a couple of weeks. Um, but it was a daily system of trying to get things right with God uh, after they had sinned. I mean, it was an exhausting, temporary, grinding process. Every part of them must have been screaming out, can there be some sort of more permanent solution to my sin problem? And so for ages, theologians have been saying that on every page of the Old Testament, 
um, it's really pointing towards our need for a Savior. And and the prophets foretold of this promised Savior. Every single genealogy in the Old Testament and the New Testament is building up towards the name of that Savior. And the New Testament reveals our Savior and the true source of this power. It's in the birth, the life, and ultimately the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. So we're going to overcome if and only if we learn to rely completely on that power source. And I love how the New Testament in Hebrews kind of brings this all together. Remember Hebrews chapter 11 was kind of the Old Testament hall of fame? Right after that, where the author's talking about if you have faith, good things happen. At the beginning of chapter 12, in Hebrews 1 and 2, he talks about how do we get that faith. So let's look at this, Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, these are these Old Testament heroes, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Okay, it's going to take perseverance. There's going to be challenges and setbacks. Okay, but how do we do this? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And, and I love the language here, pioneer and perfecter, okay? If you want faith, Jesus is going to pioneer it with you. He's going to start it. He's going to initiate it. He's going to be the source. And then he's going to perfect it. He's going to help you improve it, make it better and better each year, always deeper. And so if we want to win at this, we are going to need to fix our eyes on him. And remember, we have a relational God. He is desperate for relationship with you. He created you for that purpose. So we need to set aside that time, seek him out in prayer, look to him. Christ is our relational focus here, folks, is the only enabler of us saying yes to him. And as we do that and connect to him, our ability to say yes is going to finally start to, to grow and snowball, okay, and start rolling downhill. So as we close today, I want to invite the band back up today. And I just want us to think about this as our application. I find it amazing that this offer of partnership that God started with in the Old Testament is still active today. He's asking you to partner. You can bring blessing to this earth. You can bring his kingdom. There's no greater calling, nothing else worth giving our lives to, but step one is in faith to say yes to him this morning. And if you've never done that for the first time, that's your starting point, to say yes to him. We have people up front after our services who'd love to help you with that process. But if you've said yes to him for the first time, then as you contemplate this, and what's your next yes, um, it could be something huge this morning. Um, Like the steps God asked Abraham or Moses to take, But it's likely something small, close to home, um, something like a mustard seed. What is that thing that he wants you to say yes to this morning? Is it just connecting to him in that relational time and being diligent about that? If you're married, maybe that yes this morning is is taking that covenant of, of marriage and being who God wants you to be in that being an unconditional lover of your spouse this morning, being the first to, to love well, to make peace, um, 
to apologize, to connect. Um, I don't know what that next step is, but let's be contemplating that this morning. I know this, that uh, as you say yes to that next step of faith in your life, we are guaranteed from God that you will be a blessing to those around you, and uh, you too will be blessed. So let's pray this morning as we, as we wrap up. Lord, we just ask you to come in power into our lives. Um, we thank you for this, this offer of partnership, Lord. Um, what a beautiful purpose for our lives that we could never dream up on our own, Lord. I just, I just pray that you will reach out to us this morning. Uh, let us know how deeply you want that partnership. And then, Lord, help us reach back to you in faith to say, I cannot do that without relying on the author and perfecter of our faiths, the Lord himself. Will you just give us that hope, that power this morning? Um, Lord, we need you to, to bless those around us. And then we ask for that in your holy name. Amen.